from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. an honor to be filling in for Tony and an extreme honor to have you on board with us this evening as well. Let me roll out some of the highlights that we'll be bringing your way this evening on Washington Watch concerning new figures that were released by the Congressional Budget Office yesterday. According to their estimates, the federal budget deficit reached $1.6 trillion in the 10-month period ending in July. That's more than double the deficit that was seen at the same time last year. And further news, the CBO also projected that the total deficit in the current fiscal year would reach $1.7 trillion. But the Biden administration continues to tell the American public that all is fine and that the president's economic policy, dubbed Bidenomics, that it's all working just fine. Our plan is working. It's working. The economy has grown since I took office. It grew faster in the, in the last quarter than anyone expected. Amazing. Of course, that was President Biden just a couple of hours ago. Uh, this administration is clearly living in an alternate fantasy universe, I'm trying to sell that to the American public. But what is the reality? Well, here in just a few moments, I'll be joined by Congressman Kevin Hearn, a member of the House Committee on Ways and Means, and he will give us a reality check for sure. And there was some disappointing news coming out of Ohio yesterday as the state's issue one failed to pass. But thankfully, that's not the end of the effort to protect life and parental rights. There are a lot of Republicans that are pro-life that uh, may have voted no on this uh, issue tonight that are, will be with us shoulder to shoulder come November. Look, we have marijuana and abortion on the ballot this November coming up, and I just believe our faith-based community in all 88 counties will reject both. Well, that was President of Ohio Right to Life, Mike Gonadakis, last night on CNN. Uh, I'll be talking about what's ahead for the state, and not just for Ohio, but for other states across the nation. I'll be joined later by FRC's action, Brent Kylan, to discuss that. And while President Biden says climate change is the existential threat to humanity, he continues to turn a blind eye to a very real threat that's taking place on the southern border. Communities have been neglected and abandoned, relying on their own local and state resources to address a border that is in a crisis mode. Our southern border, against all public comfort statements out of Washington, D.C., is in the worst shape I've ever seen it. When one looks at public safety, national security, and humanitarian, our southern border is the largest crime scene in the country. Well, that was Sheriff Mark Daniels of Arizona's Cochise County testifying yesterday at a joint subcommittee field hearing that, by the way, Democrats failed to show up at. Amazing. Well, Republican governors are answering the call to those at the southern border, and I'll be joined by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt to talk about what his state is doing to help the state of Texas. And speaking of Texas, the Save Women's Sports Act there was signed into law on Monday. The legacy of women's sports will be safeguarded for generations to come because of the law I'm about to sign. Women in Texas can be assured that the integrity of their sports is protected in our great state. 
Of course, that was Texas Governor Abbott making remarks at the signing. And I'll be joined at the end of the show today by swimmer-turned-activist Riley Gaines, who was there at that signing. She'll be telling us her story about the fight to protect female spaces. So we've got a packed show lined up for you, as always. And as a reminder, our website is TonyPerkins.com in case you miss any portion of today's show or if you'd like to go back and view some archived programs. And, of course, also there are tons of resources available there for you. I also want to make you aware before we jump into the program that FRC now has a special campaign. It only takes one. And for this week only, you can quadruple, you can quadruple your giving for faith, family, and freedom. I encourage you to help us out as we are standing on the tip of the spear on so many issues. You can do so in a powerful way this week. This week, I encourage you to text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 67742. And in advance, we say thank you for your help. All right, when America's debt rating was downgraded by one of the big three credit rating agencies earlier this month, the Biden administration officials said that they strongly disagreed, and they called that decision arbitrary. Well, yesterday, the Congressional Budget Office released their report, a grim report, projecting the total deficit for the current fiscal year at $1.7 trillion. That's up over $200 billion from the previous projection for this year. And so they can't, it, it's just growing so astronomically, they can't even get the predictions for the current year correct. Can the Biden administration really continue to take a victory lap when it's clear that America is headed down the wrong track? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Kevin Hearn. He's a member of the Ways and Means Committee. He's also chairman of the Republican Study Committee. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Oklahoma. Congressman Hearn, great to see you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you, Jody. Thanks for having me. It's always an honor to have you. All right. Uh, for, for those who are watching or listening who, who are trying even now to wrap their heads around what all of this means, can you kind of break it down for us what the CBO revealed yesterday and what it really means? Well, again, thanks for highlighting this and, and bringing this to everyone's attention. It's something we've been talking about for a long time on RSC, as you know. Um, it, what it means is that we're spending out of control. Uh, the government's getting so big that it's even difficult for our current modeling to even keep track. When you talk to the GAO, as I've done through the, uh, as chair of the RSC and have chaired the RSC budget for the last two years, and actually on ways and means looking at some of our social safety net programs, the GAO says that they can get back to us in a year, which they're basically stating the obvious that, that the government has gotten so big that there's no modeling available to actually tell the American people and members of Congress just how much we're spending, where it's going, and how we get it under control. And so we've, we've got to change the way we're doing business. The CBO, uh, the people working over there are doing a great job. I know many of them very well, have worked with them on, on many occasions. My two years in the Budget Committee and now going on four years on Ways and Means as RSC Chairman of the Budget Committee. These folks are trying to get their arms around, but we are spending money so fast. And what Joe Biden has done since he's been in office is capsized the economy in the United States of America. I've had a lot of town halls in this week since I've been home in Oklahoma, and Democrats and Republicans uh, are 
basically knocking off the dust of somebody from down south that you're familiar with, James Carville, as he told Bill Clinton back in the day, it's about the economy, stupid. And when Joe Biden goes out and talks about Bidenomics and how great it is, he's lost complete touch. We already knew that, but now he is basically confirmed he's lost complete touch with reality in the United States of America and the connection with the American people. Yeah, it really is. I, I love your word picture of capsizing the economy. I think that is a, just a perfect description of what's taking place. And the numbers are so astronomical. I mean, as you say, even CPO is trying to wrap their mind around how large of a problem is is facing the American economy right now. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the numbers would have even been worse if the Supreme Court had not invalidated President Biden's broad student loan bailout scheme this past June. It would have been. And, you know, we know that that was going to be upwards of a trillion dollars when it was all said and done based on who was taking uh, the, the advantage of that. I know he said $400 billion, but as we started looking and hearing from outside groups and then CBO took another look at it, uh, it was estimated it was going to be close to a trillion dollars. If you look in these numbers that CBO released yesterday, uh, you look at spending on the Department of Education is up 57% year over year. A lot of that is money that he has used to go through and forgive loans uh, to the tune of $90 billion or so. Uh, when you look, what, one of the things I think is the most alarming, and every American can understand this, when you look at your credit card, if you're not paying your credit card off, the interest will absolutely eat you alive. And that's what is starting to happen. Interest on our wow. debt was by far higher than anyone ever estimated, some $140 billion higher and what's going to happen is the, the highest number that we're going to have on spending in the next six to seven years will be the interest on our debt. That's unthinkable uh, and frightening uh, to, to think of that. Uh, I, I want to throw this out to you as well. All the bank failures that we've seen in recent months this past year, uh, and what I'm seeing is there's potentially dozens and dozens more that could face the same outcome. Uh, there's still quite a bit of instability in the whole banking sector, isn't there? Well, there is. Certainly, when you look at uh, the banking, at, at the regional banks we saw with SBB and Signature, uh, you know, not a lot of loan production, but a lot of cash coming in because the federal government was just pumping literally trillions of dollars into the economy, which is what caused the 9% inflation by the Obama administration, the Obama, the Biden administration, might as well be Obama. And what we're seeing now is the same thing. While a lot of banks didn't put money into long-term treasuries, which capsized, again, using that word, when we started seeing the inflation and the short-term yields exceeded the long-term yields, now what we've seen is our banks, certainly community banks, have put a lot of fixed money into commercial real estate. And we already know and seeing what's happened across America with those rates becoming you know, fixed at a lower number and banks are trying to figure out how to make money. So... There is some risk, a lot of risk in some areas of the country where commercial real estate is being heavily leveraged in banks. And what we saw in California, the reason that the SBB got out of control is because regulators weren't doing their job. So, you know, we got to keep pushing uh, through the Financial Services Committee, through the Treasury to make sure that the, uh, the commissioners and, and the inspectors that are going out, the IGs that are going out across these banking communities, are looking at these banks, making sure that their liquidity ratios are in a good spot, that their right mix of their loans is in a good spot, and that we don't have any more issues with our banking system.
Well, we appreciate you breaking this down for us. You know, we're coming up, we hit on this a little bit yesterday on the uh, one-year anniversary of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. But we all know that that has nothing to do about uh, reducing inflation or addressing economic problems, all about climate change, which tells you everything you need to know about the priorities of this current administration. If I can, in the brief time that we have left, the, uh, I, I want to switch topics. The Republican Study Committee, which of course you are chairman of, has outlined some priorities when it comes to public health-related legislation programs. Uh, in about a minute or so that we have left, uh, bring us up to speed on what you guys are working on. Well, basically, you know, we go back and review what happened and how we got to where we were with an unelected official, Dr. Fauci, being able to shut down cities and states and communities and schools. And we're seeing the repercussions of that now and going back and laying out the policies of, you know, good governance uh, when we're seeing, uh, you know, being forced to wear masks uh, in communities where we didn't stop the spread. And we certainly had outbreaks everywhere. And we allowed him to, uh, when I say we, the federal government allowed him to take reign. And uh, it was people that challenged him were demonized as saying that they're not allowing the experts. And we saw that there are many people, you know, a million Americans died with all of the, you know, he kept changing his thing. So this is a lot of the policies out there. Also uh, withholding funding. For About 15 that, seconds, uh, Congressman. Okay. So all those that are out there, you know, violating this is withholding funds to make sure that we're doing the right thing with the American taxpayer dollars. Thank you, Congressman Kevin Hearn, 1st Congressional District of Oklahoma. Great seeing you. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch this evening. Thanks, Jody. You bet. All right, friends, coming up, Ohio's issue number one, issue one. We'll talk about yesterday's vote and the next battle ahead, not just for Ohio, but across the country. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in this evening for Tony and glad to have you on board with us. All right, listen, before I go to our next guest, I do want to mention it one more time. We have a special campaign taking place right now called It Only Takes One. For this week only, your contribution can be quadrupled and impact faith, family, and freedom. Uh, and that comes because we've had a, a generous supporter who's given a $100,000 challenge match. So we're asking you to come on board and help us out, quadruple your gift. Uh, you can do so by texting the word GIVE to 67742. GIVE to 67742. All right, we've been talking about this for the past few weeks, Ohio's Issue 1, uh, which the attempt there was uh, to try to raise the threshold to amend the state constitution from a simple majority to a 60% requirement. Well, yesterday, Issue 1 failed to pass with 57% of Ohio voters uh, going against it and 43 voting for it. Uh, so, look, that, that can be disappointing. But despite the loss, there is still a pathway to victory when it comes this November as it relates to stopping a proposed constitutional amendment to legalize abortion up to birth and revoking existing parental consent and notification laws. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Brent Kylan, the vice president of FRC Action, which is the legislative affiliate of the Family Research Council. Brent, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Thanks, Jody. Good to be with you today. Well, thank you so much. All right, listen, let's, uh, let's go to issue one. Uh, while yesterday's vote, no question, was disappointing to watch as it unfolded, the fight is not over. Isn't that, that uh, correct? What, what did we learn from the turnout yesterday and the, and the whole thing? What, what is kind of the bottom line from your perspective? Jody, I think you're exactly right. It was a disappointing uh, defeat for for the, the the people wanted to protect parental rights and for the pro-life community. Uh, but also, like you said, this is absolutely not over. I mean, the, the big question, the big outcome is going to be what happens in November. And, and, and what can we learn from the result yesterday? I, I think there's a couple important things for us to to keep in mind on this. Number one is uh, 538 uh, put out some interesting info looking back over the past probably six years. Uh, the state's 
uh, around the country that have tried to do similar things, raising the threshold to amend their state constitution. Um, this has been attempted five times. Only one of those actually passed. In the place it passed, it passed very narrowly, 51 to 49 percent, and it was actually pretty narrow in scope. I think it only affected uh, tax increases. So the fact that this was defeated yesterday, 43 to 40, uh, 57 percent, uh, while again, it a setback, disappointing result is actually pretty par for the course. Um, it is hard to get these things to pass when you want to change that that threshold. I think the other thing we have to remember with this is this is not necessarily a reflection on people's position on the November vote. What we were looking at yesterday was an increase in the threshold for the Constitution on any issue. So you could have Ohio voters who, who maybe uh, take the, the, the pro-parent, pro-life position, but are saying, you know, when I look at all the issues, I, I actually think the threshold is good at 50%, and then I'll just vote, you know, my position come November. So that may or may not be the case, but I think we have to remember this is not necessarily indicative of where people stand on the, the uh, vote in November. Good points there. And, you know, I think it's also important for us to understand, and this is one reason we've been dealing so much with this issue uh, for the last couple of weeks, is what's happening in Ohio, what has happened yesterday, is not exclusive just to Ohio. And it's not just about the pro-life movement there. This is a, a, a sampling of an attack that spread across the entire country. Isn't that right? It is so true. Judy, in, in my home state of Michigan, there was a very similar measure uh, on the ballot in 2022, and unfortunately that passed. Now they're in Ohio, but they're looking at other states. We know of a, of a couple for sure in 2024. I think um, New York is one, Maryland is one, where they're going to be pushing similar amendments, but there's a whole list of other states potentially in 2024. They're trying to trying to do this in. So this is not something just affecting Ohio. This is a national strategy. And um, everybody wants to talk about this just in terms of the abortion issue. There's a lot of implications there. If November, if, if this were to pass, it would effectively, you know, allow for, pave the way for abortion up until the moment of birth, which is really sad, but it also is devastating to parental rights. Um, it, it, it covers such a, a wide uh, variety of issues. It's important for us to be aware of, of everything this entails. Okay, so let's go back to Ohio. Uh, what needs to happen between now and November? When I take a look at my home state of Michigan, what happened um, last November, what was really eye-opening and sad was that in surveys after the vote, there were a lot of churches and pastors that actually said they didn't even know this measure was on the ballot, or if they did, they didn't know what they were actually voting on. They didn't know what it all included. And I think we can take a lot of lessons from that. Um, the uh, the outcome is still very much up for grabs. Uh, this is not something where this is set. It's going to come down to who gets their message out. There's a couple months to do it. Uh, if you're in Ohio, you could say, hey, let's assume the vote yesterday does indicate uh, people's position on the November vote. That means you've got a couple months to swing 7% of the vote. Uh, if you're at 43 now, you need to get to 50. And so I think you can't um, you can't uh, uh, 
uh, say this is a defeat. Um, you have to say, you know what, this didn't go the way I wanted, but we could absolutely win the November vote, which is what what really, really matters. So I think now is the time to 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 pray, to unite and really roll up our sleeves and, and get to work on that that vote in November. Well, Brent, I want to thank you so much for joining us and giving us this insight. And I want to leave this segment just by saying to all of those pastors, those workers in Ohio that gave so much effort to this. Uh, I can just say at FRC today, we prayed for you, and we're asking God to keep you energized and focused and hopeful as we're coming to what's happening in November, and we are all behind you. We're believing the favor of God and the goodness of God is going to rest upon each of you. Brent Kylan, thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. We appreciate it. All right, friends, coming up. Coming up, I'll be joined by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt to talk about the latest efforts towards national security and to protect women. Stay tuned. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in this evening for Tony, who's taking some much-needed time off. And it's an honor to be with you. All right, the Biden administration's catastrophic handling at our southern border uh, and the illegal immigration crisis has been top of mind of many Republicans, including House GOP members hoping to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for his role in the crisis uh, or his lack of role, whichever way you want to look at it. Well, in the absence of the federal government, trying to defend and protect our southern border, and uh, from that, a surge in illegal immigration. 
There are Republican governors of 13 different states who have answered the call for help from Texas Governor Greg Abbott to help stem the tide of illegal immigration. And one of those governors joins me now, here to share more about why he felt the need to send his state's National Guardsmen to Texas is Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. Governor Stitt, welcome back to Washington Watch. Sir, it's an honor to have you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on with you. Well, listen, Oklahoma, of course, is not technically a southern border. It uh, borders Texas. But why did you feel compelled to send some of your state's National Guardsmen to Texas? Well, first off, you know, we believe that every state is a border state. Uh, we know that the fentanyl that's coming through the southern border is winding up in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, our fentanyl deaths have increased 500 uh, percent over the last couple years. So when Governor Abbott asked for help, uh, we wanted to join him. There's 13 other Republican governors that are down there uh, that sent our sent our troops down there under the direction of uh, uh, of the of the Texas National Guard. But really, the, the big question here is why is the federal government not protecting our southern borders? I mean, it makes no sense to us, us whatsoever as Americans and as Oklahomans uh, that we don't have a secure border knowing who's coming through. It is illegal in federal law to enter the United States uh, except through uh, the ports of entry. And all we're doing is trying to protect and enforce law. Uh, and, and it's just overwhelming. It's unbelievable what's happening right now and why the federal government is advocating their duty to protect our citizens. Uh, Governor, that is extremely well said and hits the, the nail on the head in every way. It's a, it's a matter of abiding by the law. It's a matter of people coming legally into this country through the ports of entry. It's a matter of us knowing who they are and what their intentions are. And uh, thank you so much for your leadership in this. You answered part of the next question. You said fentanyl deaths are up 500% in Oklahoma over the last couple of years. What, what, what other impacts are you seeing in Oklahoma as a result of the wide open border policies of this administration? You know, well, first off, you know, when, 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 when people come into our country and they're in there, they automatically get the services that all of our citizens do. In other words, our healthcare system, uh, you know, we're not going to turn away someone in need that shows up at our hospitals. And so that is having a taxing effect on all the other taxpaying citizens of America uh, who are having to pay the, uh, the load for people coming into our country. So, and I also like to point out, this is, we need a uh, immigration policy. We need to make sure that we have the right workforce. We know who's coming into our country. In Oklahoma, we have about 12% Hispanic population. Uh, fantastic folks in Oklahoma. Uh, but there's a total difference with not having a secure border. So I, I always like to throw that out there. There's, there's border security and then there's immigration policy. And the left tries to uh, kind of combine those two and, and try to make excuses of why uh, we're not we're not securing our border because the cartels uh, are bad, bad folks. Uh, the amount of you can talk to Governor Abbott, but the amount of uh, people that we've apprehended on the southern border that are on our terrorist watch list uh, is gone up dramatically over the last couple of years. So that's what we're talking about here. And really, we need to point back to why is the federal government not doing their job and, and Republican governors are having to step up uh, to secure our southern border. 
That absolutely is the big question. Governor, if I can switch gears with you in the next couple of minutes that we have, uh, tell us about the Women's Bill of Rights that you recently signed in the law. You're the first governor to do such a thing by executive orders. Thank you. Congratulations. But uh, tell us a little bit about what that executive order does to draw the distinction between men and women. Yeah, again, uh, it's, it's kind of weird that I had to be the first governor that, that, that signed an executive order that really just defines what a, what a man and a woman is in the state of Oklahoma. Pretty common sense to us. Uh, but the reason we did it is because I saw what was happening in other states, in, in California, for example, uh, letting men uh, say that they're a woman and then putting them in women's prison. And, and we're not going to let men go into women's prisons in Oklahoma. We're not going to let men go into women's shelters. Uh, we're going to protect women's sports. Uh, so, again, really common sense to us. We think Oklahomans are they're definitely with us. Americans are with us on this issue. Uh, we're not against any one person, but we're going to protect our young women and our young ladies uh, in the state of Oklahoma. Well, exactly right you are, Governor, and all of us say a huge thank you for your leadership on this. You've taken a lot of hit. You've been uh, referred to as a bigot, as many of us have, on multiple different issues, but you've stood strong, you've stood firmly, and we appreciate it. Thank you, Governor Stitt, for coming on the program and for all the great work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, love, love being on with you guys. It's always our honor. All right, friends, coming up, I'll be joined by swimmer-turned-activist Riley Gaines, who was actually in Oklahoma uh, last week for the signing of that Women's Bill of Rights. She's going to share her story and give us her take on the battle to protect female faces and female sports. I assure you, you don't want to miss what's about to come your way. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on the other side of this break. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND 
and to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom, and you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC celebrating 40 years with its first president, Jerry Regeer. Family Research Council is extremely important. And I think there's a lot of people, both, both in the Christian world as well as on Capitol Hill, that really depend on the research and the input that FRC gives them. And uh, the impact you've had on both Congress and Senate, as well as uh, America at large, is really quite amazing. Congratulations. Thank you, Jerry Regeer, on your comments for FRC's 40th anniversary. And of course, as you just heard, Jerry was the first president here at FRC. And in addition to that, he was a major individual in establishing FRC to begin with. An incredible leader, an incredible man, and we are grateful for his past leadership and his continued leadership and his comments today. And I, along with, uh, with that, I want to encourage you to join us this coming September 15th through 17th in Washington, D.C. at this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit as we will be celebrating is 40 years of standing for faith, family, and freedom. And I want you to know right now that registration is open. It's easy to go check it out and make it all happen for yourself. Just visit prayvotestand.org, prayvotestand.org for details and to register. And speaking of Pray, Vote, Stand and the summit that's coming up, my next guest is among the speakers who will be there who you will be hearing from in person. Riley Gaines made waves, literally, for speaking out after tying UPenn swimmer Leah Thomas in the 2022 NCAA Division I Women's Swimming and Diving Championships. And, of course, Thomas, as we've highlighted numerous times on this program, is a biological male swimmer who's on the women's team. Well, since then, Riley has traveled the country speaking out about the need to protect uh, female spaces as well as sports. She's challenging the rules at the NCAA, uh, USA Swimming, the International Olympic Committee, and other governing bodies. 
and she's been a huge encouragement to other female athletes, calling them to step forward and highlight why men competing in female sports is blatantly unfair and harmful. She joins me now to share her experiences. Riley, welcome to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Well, it's always great to see you. Listen, let's just, let's begin, if we can, just with some of your story, uh, particularly going back to, uh, with your encounter with Leah Thomas. Some of our viewers and listeners may not know that. So if you can go back as far as you need to, but just share a moment uh, what that was like for you. Absolutely. Uh, so I grew up my whole life swimming. Uh, started when I was four years old, went all the way through college. Uh, so I dedicated 18 years of my life to my sport. Um, but my senior year was different. Uh, actually, my junior year, I ended up finishing seventh in the country, which I was proud of, right? You know, being an All-American, you were top eight. Uh, but I knew when I finished seventh that it would be my goal my senior year to win a national title. Um, I was right on pace to do that. About midway through my season, I was ranked third in the country behind one phenomenal swimmer who I knew very well. Um, because like in most sports, your top tier athletes, you know of each other, uh, regardless of where you're competing in the country, because you've grown up competing against each other. Um, and, and she was in second, and I was trailing her by maybe a few one hundredths or tenths of a second. But the swimmer who was ranked first, we had never heard of. And this is the first time I became aware of a swimmer named Leah Thomas. And there was a lot of red flags at the time. Uh, again, unbeknownst to me, this was anything other than a female until an article came out. Uh, disclosing very briefly that Leah Thomas is formerly Will Thomas and swam three years on the men's team at University of Pennsylvania before deciding to switch to the women's team. And so I was so shocked when I read this, uh, but really I felt a sense of relief because I then went to look up who, who Will Thomas was. And I saw that this was a mediocre male swimmer at best, ranking 462nd in the country when competing against the men. Um, but that's why I say I was relieved because I thought the NCAA would see it how I saw it and how my parents saw it and my teammates and my coaches saw it. How anyone with a brain would probably comprehend this, uh, but they did not see it that way. They saw nothing wrong with it. And so that first day of competition um, at our national championships, which keep in mind, this is the fastest meet in the world. Thomas swam to a national title, uh, becoming the first male to win a, a division one NCAA title against the women. You can see in this video right here, I mean, that's domination. Uh, swimming is a sport that's measured down to the hundredth of a second, and Thomas beat every girl by, by body lengths um, at, at six foot four, might I add. Uh, but that next day of competition was a 200 freestyle, uh, which almost impossibly enough, uh, Thomas and I raced and we tied, meaning we went the exact same time down to the hundredth of a second. And really what thrusted me into to the stance that I've taken now is upon tying, we go behind the awards podium where the NCAA official looks at both Thomas and myself and says, great job, but you guys tied. And we only have one trophy, and we're going to give this trophy to Leah. And I was so taken aback. And I asked the question that no one dared ask all season. And I said, okay, why? I know we tied. I know, you know, there's only one trophy, but why are you adamant on giving this trophy to a man in the women's 200 freestyle? And I actually appreciate their honesty because he told me, well, we've been advised when pictures are being taken, we have to give the trophy to Thomas. Um, but you, you can pose with this one, but you have to give yours back, Riley. You go home empty-handed, Leah takes the trophy helmet, end of story. 
and it was that's that moment that I knew it, it was. It's still unbelievable. Uh, but you it know, was I've, that moment when I knew I couldn't be, I couldn't lie anymore because I was, I was lying up until that point. Yeah, I've heard this story so many times, Riley, and every time it just, I, I'm, I'm spellbound hearing you say it, and I'm as ticked off as though I was hearing it for the very first time every time you mention it. Because you, you have the competition on the one side, but then there's just the presence of Leah Thomas uh, in the, the locker rooms and the all of that sort of stuff where other uh, women swimmers were affected, including yourself. Uh, did anyone stick up for you and the other female athletes during all of this? Really, no. Uh, privately, of course, you know, we would have conversations with our coaches and, and the parents and, and different people, even within the NCAA, who knew this was wrong. Um, and, and, of course, they felt ashamed of themselves for going along with it, but they didn't do anything about it. And that's why I waited. That's why I cowered for, for all season, really. Um, by the time I, I learned who Leah Thomas was in November of 2021 until March of 2022, I, again, I had conversations about it and I expressed my opinions privately, but nothing nothing where I was willing to take a public stance because I was, I was scared. I was scared of the backlash. I was scared of the lies they told us, how they emotionally blackmailed us into silence. They told us that we would never get a job if we spoke out. We would lose our scholarship. We would lose our friends. You would, you know, you wouldn't get into grad school if you spoke out. They told us we would be murderers if we spoke out because if any harm were to come towards Thomas's way and, and he were to harm himself, then we would be responsible for a murder or, or, or for a death, making us murderers. I mean, think about that. Wanting fair play, they were equating that to murder. Uh, and it worked. It worked in keeping us silent. It's just it's stunning to hear this. So uh, tell us what was going through your mind, uh, what was going through your heart before you started speaking out. Because as you just described, there was tremendous intimidation uh, there was a, an attempt to do everything to uh, call, force you to be silent about it. But there was a breakthrough where you started working through this and you said, I've got to speak out. So before that transition, in the midst of all that, what was going through your mind and your heart before you had that breakthrough? There was a lot. Um, I think one knowing what we were going through in terms of, again, the silencing and kind of the attempts to re-educate us is what they called it. Um, they wanted us to go to counseling if we felt uncomfortable in the locker rooms. Counseling, of course, provided through the LGBTQ Education Center. Uh, and knowing what we went through, uh, knowing what the fight to even get women's sports, and not that long ago, right? I mean, Title IX was only enacted in, in 1972, which, which sounds like a long time ago. Sorry if you were born before 1972, but I, I, that sounds like you're old, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> no comment. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a long time ago, but it's really not. I mean, this is only 50, 51 years ago. And so thinking about the fight to, to get the opportunities that I was so blessed to have, and then thinking about the next generation of female athletes, next generation of, of women, or really of humans, especially Christians. I mean, what we're up against um, and those who don't yet have a voice, those who don't yet understand the implications of what this means for them, that's who I'm fighting for. 
it's not for me. Um, I'm done competing. No one wants to see me swim anymore. I'd probably drown at this point if I even tried. Um, so, so it's not for me. It, it's so much bigger than me. And I think realizing that, seeing what I saw, facing what I faced, um, I, I just I felt like I was lying to myself. It felt wrong uh, to watch this happen and do nothing about it. Well, thank you for taking the stand, Riley. It's been an inspiration to thousands and thousands. So let's get into this. You uh, just provided a perfect segue. You're now traveling all across this country. You're speaking out on this issue with uh, great personal emotion and experience backing up your, your comments. Recently, you were in Oklahoma. Uh, you were in Texas. Tell us uh, uh, about what you've been doing, what you've been seeing, what you're hearing from people. I've been doing absolutely anything and everything I can to make impact, um, to, to make changes to where no girl, no woman, regardless of what age, regardless of where you compete or, or what sports you're competing in, no girl should go through what we went through. Compare themselves physically to a man, uh, the humiliation in the locker room, and be told they're not worthy, that, that they don't matter. That's not true. But that's the message being sent to them. And so traveling, uh, testifying, uh, and encouraging others, letting them know that we are in the overwhelming majority and feeling how we feel, and letting them know that it's liberating to say the truth. Uh, and that speaks for any truth. But in regards to the truth that I'm speaking about, it's the most basic truth. <laughs> to deny what a woman is, is to deny that the sky is blue. But they're asking us to do that. Um, but once you know you don't have to adhere to those guidelines, uh, it really does feel like a weight is off of your shoulders. Well, absolutely no woman should face what you face, be it in the swimming pool or in the locker room, nor should a woman face what you have experienced even this past week in Texas with the protesters. Tell us a little bit about that, and not only in Texas, other places where you've been. Yeah, it, it's become standard at this point. I'm actually more surprised when there's not protesters. And again, <laughs> we're asking for the bare minimum here, right? Equal opportunity. Uh, we're asking for safety. We're asking for privacy as women in our, in our sex-separated spaces. Um, and so, yeah, protest has become standard, and we are seeing it across the country. I had a little more hope for Texas. You know, this is Texas. What are protesters doing here? Um, but they were there, and of course, it, it's the same thing. They're, they're, they have the same chants. They have the same posters. Um, they're yelling profanities, obscenities. They're throwing glass bottles at our feet. They're dumping liquids on us. They're spitting in our faces. And again, they do it in the name of love. They do it in the name of inclusion and tolerance and, and all of those virtuous things. But what they're doing is not, that's not love. Uh, that's not what love looks like. Um, it's loving to say the truth. That is love. Ever heard of the term true love? Those terms are synonymous, truth and love. To lie Absolutely. is the exact opposite of that. Absolutely. So our time is wrapping up. What keeps you energized? You're all over the place. What is the, the, the driving force that, that keeps you energized to do what you're doing? Knowing I'm doing it for more than just myself, uh, the messages I get every single day, you, you would die if you saw them. Uh, actually, your heart would probably break. They're coming from female athletes. These are messages from parents. These are messages from coaches who don't know what to do. They need a voice, uh, and, and I'm happy to be that megaphone for them. 
Um, that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me energized. I, I haven't gotten burnt out yet, and I have, I have been. It's a toll. Make no mistake, it's a toll. It takes a toll on me, both physically, you know, emotionally, on my marriage. But I, I just know how important it is and what's at stake if I don't. And fighting for that, fighting for sanity, for common sense. That's what's keeping me going. And of course, my faith. I would be remiss if I didn't mention my faith and just how important that is in this fight and in this fight that is entirely spiritual. Well, it is spiritual. All of this is a spiritual battle. And Riley, let me just tell you, we are so excited to have you joining us next month at the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. And, you know, we are hoping that this event will encourage people and help equip them to make an impact in their various spheres of influence. Uh, to wrap this up in the, the next 45 seconds or so, why do you think it's important for us to, uh, for people to come together for events like this, to pray, to vote, and to take a stand? For too long, we haven't. Um, we are called the silent majority for a reason, and it's because we've been silent. We have to link arms. We have to stand together. We have to roll up our sleeves and say enough is enough. And doing it through prayer doing it through voting. I mean, those, that's, that's, those are the principles that we all need to rely on. And so I couldn't be more excited for the event. Um, really, I, I think it'll be foundational, um, fundamental, really, in creating that impact and change that this country needs to see. Thank you, Riley Gaines, for coming on the program with us this evening. And thank you for standing in there fighting the good fight. God bless you. Of course. Thank you. All right, friends, that wraps up this edition of Washington Watch. Thank you for joining us. And we're all in this together. We must defend faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for joining us today. Hope you have a fantastic rest of your evening, and we will see you tomorrow right here on Washington Watch. God. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 